Ever need something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called The Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Welcome to the Bear Grease Render. That sounds familiar. We have a pretty normal crew of the Render here today. And we're going to talk about the magnum opus of my life. Wow. This podcast wow. is the best podcast. Mr. Newcomb's opus. That's ever been created, none accepted. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that's a my bold, opinion. That's a bold statement. It is a bold opinion. statement. That's my opinion. Let me introduce who is Am here home. today. I have my lovely wife, Missy Newcomb, to my left. Hello. Great to have you here. Great Misty, to be thank here. Thank you. To Misty's left, Brent Reeves. <laughs> he almost did it again. <laughs> Brent Reeves. How are you, Brent? I'm good, brother. Okay. Glad to be I here. I want to hear what you think about this this okay. podcast. All right. I'll listen to, to it. To Brent's left, Ben Legrone. Thanks for Long having me. Long time, buddy. You've been here a couple times on the Bear Grease Render. One, a couple times, one time. If you've been here one time, you've been here a couple times. That's right. That's right. And Ben, yeah. Ben feels particularly familiar today because he has a 1980s Bass Pro Shop hat on. Yeah, those are hard to come by these days out here. Yeah. Or well, maybe not hard to well, come by, but they're popular. That's why I wore the meat eater shirt to make sure there wasn't too much of a, oh. a clash, clash of, here. Yeah. of companies. You yeah. got his meat eater shirt on. To Ben's left, Josh Lambridge, spillmaker. Who's been rec- is starting to get recognized once every other week? Yes, it's my micro celebrity grows <laughs> by the every other week, by, well, bi-weekly. Tell, tell us where someone I was got, like. I got recognized by a great young man by the name of Jacob down at the tool local tool rental business, <laughs> doing some remodel work on my house. I had to go rent some tools, and, and he was like, "Are you Lambert? Hey, well, he asked me my name, and I was like Josh Spillmaker, and he goes, "Are you?" 
familiar he, with the Bear Grease podcast? Said, I said way too familiar. <laughs> he said, what's your middle name? <laughs> yeah. And you were like, Landbridge. <laughs> that's right. Saving America uh, one land bridge at a time. That's great. To your left, the man who's been missing for a couple of episodes. The paterfamilias. Gary Believer Newcomb. Good to be here. Yeah, man. Good to have you. Yeah. Thanks to Gary. I've been, list- to have you. I've been listening to your stuff. That last render group was really good. Did you like them? Yeah, I really did, man. I Down mean, at the squirrel yeah, camp? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Good, good to hear. Good to hear. Hey, I'm like all business today because mm. today is a monumental. This is a monumental Bear Grease render because we are. Well, let me back. Let me back up one step. Yeah, you're going there all in. Really fa- mm. There is such a thing. There is such a thing called the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. Which is a very yes. real thing. This isn't a joke. Like one day, I believe there will be a mountain somewhere in the Ozarks with the faces of these people carved into it. Bear Grease Hall of Fame, <laughs> very real. Men who qualify, women who qualify, people who qualify to be in the Bear Grease Hall of Fame have a very, some very evident and some very intangible qualities about their life that make them shoe-ins. And sometimes these qualities are hard to articulate, but when you see it, you know it, okay? There's a lot of foreshadowing. The current current Bear Grease Hall of Famers are, number one, my dear friend, James Lawrence from Mena, Arkansas. Yes. Long time... You know, I, I've used the word mentor. That's probably not the best descriptor of him to me, but we, we love James Lawrence. Love James. Very Mountain deserving. man. Very backwoods deserving. man. Incredible. Washita Mountain deer hunter. Humble. Honest. Hardworking. A lot of good things about James. Yep. Number two, Warner Glenn. Warner Glenn, 87-year-old cowboy from Arizona. We got a film coming out about him that is going to be on the Meteor YouTube I'm channel. Excited, I'm excited about this. And there's a, the, a film premiere, yeah, that on March the 3rd in Bentonville. Can't you wait. going, Ben? Oh, yeah, bought my ticket today. Yes. Hey, uh, give, can, is, it, is it too uh, soon? Too, I mean, can we by just... this time, I'm certain, I hope that all the tickets are sold. Well, let's... We only had 200 tickets. Okay. The venue we got could just hold 200 people. In and Northwest so Arkansas. We, we, we put it up. 200 tickets are sold. So if you don't have a ticket, I'm very sorry. But maybe we'll do this again. But Warner Glenn, when you meet a cowboy like him, you would think you were going to meet a proud man. Warner Glenn is one of the most humble guys I've ever met. Hardest working. Just no one ever told, he was, told him he was cool. He doesn't, right. to this date, he doesn't know that he's cool. Okay. When he sees a film about himself, he's going to be like, I'll be darn. You know, that kind of guy. Okay. James Lawrence, Warner Glenn, Roy Clark, my Dear friend, Roy Clark in East Tennessee, plot man, multi-generational plot man and bear hunter. Just a relic of a man, a relic of Appalachia. He grew up in a family where alcoholism was a pretty big deal. Roy Clark made a decision when he was a young man that he wasn't going to touch the stuff. And he has been a bear hunter's bear hunter ever since. I don't think he's ever been out of a pair of overalls i have never <laughs> seen the man wear a pair of pants incredible world-class bear dogs that's roy clark okay number four daniel boone god rest his soul daniel boone was one of america's first heroes and he forged much of what especially people who live close to the land and hunting what we know of the american identity so much of it came from boone the love of wilderness, 
people used to be afraid of wilderness. In the dark ages, people wanted to get as far away from wilderness as they could. Wilderness is where you went to die. Daniel Boone went into the wilderness, the, the American frontier, and came back with, with, with articulation that the world had never heard before about the beauty of the wilderness and the, and the beauty of solitude and the, living one with nature. He was 50-something years old before he ever became famous. So all the stuff he did that made him famous he did before he was ever famous. So he wasn't trying to show out. Incredible, incredible man. Daniel Boone lived to be 84 years old mm-hmm. and just had with scrapes with death that would blow your mind. Okay, number five, Frederick Gerstocker. Frederick Gerstocker was a German that came to Arkansas in 1837. He stayed here for about six years. He, did, he spent quite a bit of time within... 20 miles of where we where yeah. we sit today in the Ozarks. He was a young, educated German that just kind of wanted to get away from his 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 background in Europe and he you know they had money and he came to Arkansas and he was the first guy that came to the backwoods of Arkansas and came out with this glowing review of the people and the way they lived, which was massively contrasted with like who what we talked about in this podcast about schoolcraft. Mm-hmm. Most guys came down here and went and reported back to the world that this was a backwater, just rough, dirty place full of scoundrels. Well, Gerstocker came here and he said that these were some of the finest people on planet Earth. And he and he stayed with families and he was a big hunter. And in, in, in one of the first podcasts I did called The Death of a Bear Hunter that story, we know that story because Gerstocker. And he was he was on a bear hunt with dogs where his acquaintance, uh, Erskine, was killed about 25 miles from where we sit in the Ozarks. Incredible man, incredible writer, yep. an incredible romantic. That, that, that's a phrase that people would use to describe how someone views reality in a way. Yeah. And I like romantics. Because you could you could make a decision tomorrow that your life is terrible and that the world is no good. Or you could wake up and be like, you know what? It's a pretty good place. Frederick Gershocker, number five. Number six, the current last member of the Bear Grease Hall of Fame is none other than George McJunkin. He was, the, he was born a slave in the 1850s in Texas, moved out to New Mexico after the emancipation, became a landowner became a big ranch hand and was a very intelligent man, an educated man, learned to read uh, on a chuck wagon uh, cattle drive. He was, uh, he was a naturalist. He collected bones. and he Amateur took, archaeologist. He, 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 made, he made mechanisms to measure the, the wind speed and direction. And one day, he was out riding, riding his horse, and he came across an unusual bone pile sticking out of the ground in this arroyo and he goes those are not normal bones he takes a couple of the bones home with him it was in 1908 he spends the next over 10 years trying to get people to come out and look at the bones he'd go back into town and talk with people and say hey y'all somebody needs to come out here and look at this they never came he dies in 1923 so it's 15 years he tried to get people to come out there he dies, and literally three months after he dies, a, an amateur archaeologist goes 
to this place where they're like, George said there was a pile of bones over here. They see the bones and they go, oh my, after they send them somewhere. And then they go, these are the bones of a bison antiquus, which is an ice age bison that was, is, is no longer here. And some museum says, well, we got to excavate those bones. They start excavating the bones and they find stone points inside inside of the bones, indicating that these animals weren't, this wasn't just a pile of dead animals. These animals were killed by humans. And at the time, the, the greatest minds on planet Earth, with all the data, all the information, would have been no different today than the great minds of our time telling us something that was a matter of fact. No different. I mean, it would be like them saying, absolutely, this is the truth. They believe that humans have been in the North American continent for about 3,000 years. Well, they knew that these bison bones were over 10,000 years old and that these, it, by finding these stone points, it meant that they had, humans had been here for over 10,000 years and it totally rescripted the, how long humans had been in North America. And that became the Folsom point. The, they found Folsom points there. And so George McJunkin, African-American cowboy, found this site and died before he ever knew that it was there. We salute you. Yeah. So those are the six current Bear Grease Hall of Famers. Today, this day, we are going to induct Josh. <laughs> We're going Land to induct Rouge. because he he's wearing the mustache. Brent's wearing the overalls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, y'all are picking up on the wrong intent. Brent's like Roy Clark wore overalls every day. Of his life. I'm trying to get in. Uh, none of them had great must or notable mustaches. Um, so maybe that's okay. No. Tell me Gershocker didn't have a notable mustache. I, I mean, well, come yeah, on. I'm sure German he had a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. German big beard. There's some photos of him later in his life. So we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna put on the table the proposition to induct not one, but two men oh, into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. Mm. And so the way this works, we're gonna give Ben voting rights today okay. mm. because he's uh you know, the rules change. As, as as my whims change. <laughs> the pseudo needs. So <laughs> That's Ben good to is know. not necessarily a regular, but I I know Ben's character and judgment for long enough that we're going to give him an active okay. vote in something that cannot be repealed. Mm. No historical revisionist will ever be able to come back <laughs> and tell me that Warner Glenn did something wrong. I don't care. All right? Yeah. So irrevocable. Once in, always in. Okay, the man that I would like to put on the table to be inducted into Bear Grease Hall of Fame. I have no idea where a, you're there going. There will be a vote. It will be a, we will go one by one and you will vote yay or nay. Okay, the man I would like to induct into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame, it's, it's overdue, Holt Collier. Holt Collier was born in the 1850s, died in the 18th, in the, and died in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And his story is too long to tell. He fought for the Confederate Army. He became a nationally renowned bear hunter with dogs in Mississippi. He guided President Teddy Roosevelt on multiple bear hunts. Holt Collier was a deputy sheriff. Holt Collier shot and killed uh, two white men, shot one white man, and was never acquitted. Was, was acquitted of all charges. He was a, 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 a brilliant man and he was from Greenville, Mississippi. He's buried in Greenville, Mississippi to this day. That, the series that we did on Holt Collier was incredible. 
It's learning his story. Yeah. And and what's so wild is that his story is hardly known by America. There's one book written written by minor Francis Buchanan, a lawyer in Jackson, Mississippi, who wrote a book on Holt Collier. That's it. And it's hard to get. He now has books. He he made after the podcast. He reprinted the book. Awesome, because I'm still getting DMs. Yep. He he reprinted the book. Okay. And so you can now go to Minor Francis Buchanan's website and awesome. order the book Holt Collier. Well, Brent seconds the motion. So Misty, what say you? Yay. Brent. Yay. Ben. Yay. Yay. Josh. Yay. Yep. Gary. Yay. 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 Clay, yay. All right, Holt Collier is now Seven officially people. in the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. Gary voted twice, and this I don't blame big. him. Gary voted twice? Yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, but I'm all in. Good. Put me down for five. He's a worthy candidate, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are yeah. we sure. inducting someone else, too? Yeah. So this is this is a big day. Big day for Holt Collier. Okay. <laughs> the second person that I would like to induct into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame, irrevocable by historical revisionists 100 <laughs> years from now, if you if you're a hundred years from now listening to this on some archival mechanism that you can listen to stuff like this, you can't change this. I would like to induct Tecumseh, oh. the Shawnee, the Shawnee leader. Incredible. The 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 really when I do these series, I I just I just get into these guys and I just feel like I know them and. We did a, a big three-part series. Just finished it on Tecumseh. Uh, his name means a panther crossing the sky. He was a visionary. He was he he led the largest combined Native American forces against the United States of any Indian leader in American history. Basically, he was the biggest threat to American expansion westward by by Native Americans, and he was he was. Considered by some to be one of the greatest, potentially, and this is so speculative because we don't have no recordings of him, but by evidence by the way that he could move people, one of the greatest orators in American history, potentially. A great warrior, great hunter, walked with a limp his whole life because when he was 21, he fell off his horse when he was hunting a bison. Incredible man, incredible resoluteness. Died when he was 45 years old, prophesied his own death. Shawnee leader, Tecumseh. Misty, what say you? Yes, as long as we call him by his proper name. Tecumseh. That's right. <laughs> okay. Good answer. Good answer. Brent, what I'll say you? Yay. Yay? But I'll have to pull a tooth or two to get Tecumseh consecutive <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. But yes, absolutely, 100%. Ben? Definitely. Ben's in. Josh? I'm in. Absolutely. Gary? He in. You're in. He I'm in. in. All right, let it be heard. We've now inducted two new people into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. There's now eight. We'll have to eight. get the engravers over here. To what did Yul Brenner say? Monument. So let it be written. So mm-hmm. let it be done. That's right. This is big. This is big. Excellent. Well, now we're going to talk about my magnum opus. <laughs> I'm told that means that it's like the work of your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the Big Bear of Arkansas. This uh, this short story, I read it years ago, and I most likely learned about it from Brooks Blevins' book that I read years and years ago. His book, Arkansas, Arkansas, which we're going to talk about 
a lot. The book is titled Arkansas, spelled the normal way, d- with a with a with a hash mark. Arkansas, spelled with a W. That's the title of the book. Arkansas, Arkansas. And he he talked about this this short story, Big Bear of Arkansas, the Southwest humorists. And what's so interesting to me is that everything's so complicated. Like stuff just you kind of have these simple stories of the way things happen, but when you really look into it, it's really it's really complicated. And the, this guy, Jim, this fictional character, Jim Doggett, kind of branded Arkansas. I've had a Helix Sleep mattress for over two years, and it is for sure the nicest mattress that I've ever slept on. I've slept much better in the last two years, been more comfortable than I have for my whole life, and that's true. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash clay and use the code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet and won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want. And mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on Seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. 
Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Brent, what did you think of the podcast? What stood out to you? Was there a part that was fun? Did it, was it surprising? What, what stood out to you? Well, I'd never heard that story before. I was totally ignorant of that amongst a volume of things I'm totally ignorant of. <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of ironic that I, he set the tone and the idea that people that – that weren't from here had Arkansas, and it was a guy from New York that did it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy. Was that interesting? Yeah. That was totally removed. Might as well have been on the other side of the planet, you know, as far as his relationship to what was going on right. at that time here. He was, he was, as he was coming down the river on that boat, he was seeing it for the first time too, you know? Yeah. So I thought that was kind of ironic. Yeah. But he did such a good job. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Even in the way he told the bear hunt, it was clear. I don't think people told Thomas Bangthorpe about about bear hunting because he knew some of the it was intimate. intricate details yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. about about the way bears bay a dog, mm-hmm. yeah. and about the way a big bear will walk a pack of baying dogs. Mm-hmm. It's something that you, you would you got the or I got the idea he'd seen it before. Well, if I described that to someone who had no context for bear hunting, and then I said, "Okay, go write a story," they wouldn't include that because mm-hmm. right. it's really it's it's kind of unusual to see a big old bear surrounded by a bunch of dogs, and the bear acts like they're not even there, nonchalant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 like what's happening here, and I think he had to have seen that, and then and then all kind of stuff. I mean, even the way... If that was a coincidence, it was like a bolt of lightning. And I don't think it was. Yeah. I think there's some... One of the things, you know, when you see somebody else or when you see another culture, you pick out things about that culture that they don't even realize they do themselves. themselves. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a piece of this is that he... The description, the man telling the story sounded like my uncle's. I mean, that it was like, oh, yeah, that's... I know the type of person that's telling the story. I can see it. I can hear it. I can, I can feel it. And I think it has to be, you, you never know what would stand out to someone who had never done something before. And so I agree. He probably did see a bear hunt before because that would stick out, but almost like as an unfamiliar person with it, not mm-hmm. like a routine bear hunter, but as someone who, who saw it once and was kind of surprised well, by all that he saw. It was clear that he was, he was enamored with folk speech is what it was said about him after literature experts were able to analyze his whole the breadth of his life as a writer. So he always was like going in somewhere and talking like they talked. And so to be able to do that, you've got to be an astute observer mm-hmm. of culture. And, yeah. And these guys that were writers, especially back then, I, I I sometimes think the modern media is so easy for us to get that it dulls our senses about about people and perceptions. I don't know. Everything's spoon-fed to us so much. Mm-hmm. These guys, the only the only entertainment, the only media they had was either going to like a live performance of something, which would have been rare, and the written word. And so a writer, like Ronella said, back in those days would have had 
the average writer back in those days would have had a more powerful command of the English language and of their craft than than probably the writer today. Right. And uh, but it, it's clear that he was an observer of rur- typically rural culture. Yeah. You know, if you listen to a if you're traveling and you're in Alabama and you watch a newscast, the local newscast, they talk just exactly like the people do in California and that and Montana and Arkansas. They there's and a lot of them I'm sure are from different places, but like even the people the that, newscasters. The newscasters that are from Arkansas that are on our local statewide television, they all they all talk the same. You talk different than me. We talk different than Josh and Ben. So it all what I'm saying is back then he paid a lot more attention to and tr- I guess everything that's now is is fed or designed to be appealing to everybody's ears. To ear. the masses. Mm-hmm. And back then it was hey, this is exactly what this folks what these people sound like or right. this particular person in this particular spot. Yeah. So that was cool to me. Well, yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that about newscasters. They try to find people that have what's what's the the name for an accent that is just so neutral, uh, like a neutral, like a neutral yeah. American accent. Yeah, mm-hmm. St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. Mid- kind of Missouri. Missouri. Like mid That's Midwestern or something. Midwestern. Yeah, that Midwestern. I think Christy has one. I think Christy has one too. Mm-hmm. Josh's she has wife, Christy, no accent. Mm-hmm. Really, you think so? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same. Do you not wife. think so? She's from the Midwest. <laughs> Who? Je- my wife's yeah. from the Midwest. How does one yeah. come across a not having an accent? Well, they they do one. that. Politicians typically do better on a national scale if they have a generic yeah. accent. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I believe it to be true. I don't know if it is. Do you That's have a, anything to back well, it up? I just any. I think about. <laughs> I, I think about. Like to be Bill honest, Clinton. of all people that I thought would come up on the Bear Grease podcast, I, I heard them say that Barack Obama had a very generic accent. Like he wasn't Southern, he wasn't Northern, he wasn't this, he wasn't that, and they say that he's one of the greatest orators uh, of American presidents in a long time. Yeah, um, and I think that's true. When I think about also other, other, in terms of like preferences, you know, I, I agree a hundred percent with the statement. I think Barack Obama was an incredible orator. I think if you look at our very own Bill Clinton. You know, he had an accent. Yeah. And people liked sure. him and they found him charming. And and you look at but his... But it's because people like people from the South. If you look yes. at his campaign, like, <laughs> that is that is not, that not is where true. I was going with that. But not where I was going. I didn't say that wasn't true. I was saying that's not where I was going with that. <laughs> but I mean, I think he, he actually appealed to people because he had that folksy yeah. capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, right. So I'm kind right. of disagreeing with what you said. Di- I think there's back. a difference, though, between Southern and folksy. Because because there was a charm in the way that Bill Clinton would speak that drew people in. However, you don't always get that just with the with the run of the mill Southern accent. I did not and man, you know what's wild is like there Brent. is no run of the mill Southern accent. For there is when I go, it's true. Fifteen miles from right here yep. to the farm that I've deer hunted on for twenty years, and talk to that landowner who is as connected to this place as it's possible to be. He has a very unique yep. Ozark accent. When I interviewed Ori Province, 35 miles south of here, very isolated in the Ozark Mountains, he had a very unique accent, different than this guy over here, also in the Ozark Mountains. Um, I mean, when I, when I first left 
my home, the home of Gary and Judy Newcomb, and went off into the world, um, Misty says that when I would come home, we realized how big of an accent like dad had. Oh, and, it's and funny. And my accent would increase. Yeah. But when I was away, it was it was kind of less. I mean, like totally unconscious of what was happening. We have a home video of Clay and his dad talking, and it's almost comical to listen to because in the conversation you hear Clay talking more Newcomb Southern. Yeah, you know but, what's what's interesting about that to me is that my dad taught at what we called a country school back when I uh-huh. lived in Hot Springs, you know, a pretty good sized place for Arkansas. And he was he was ten or fifteen miles out of town at what we called a country school, Cutter Morningstar. No, it was Fountain Lake. Now it's okay. a big school, you know, for okay. Arkansas. And uh, I went there third, fourth, and fifth grade, and I picked up this accent. My oldest sister went there. I guess she was about in the seventh grade when we moved there, and she stayed there all through high school. She's got the most country <laughs> accent you've ever heard. And my other sister stayed at Hot Springs, and she has what you'd kind of think of as a neutral accent. Hmm. And and uh, just being being in that country school for three years, hmm. I developed this country accent, which I think it's not as bad as it used to be. And bad might not be the right, right. word. It's probably not as distinct as it was right. twenty years ago. Well, and then and then you go down into Brent's part of the world. Which Brent lives three hours from me down in the flatlands, and you used to live even further south mm-hmm. than that. And the accent down there is very different. So, point yeah. being, there's not really a southern accent mm-hmm. that everyone could get behind. Yep. Perhaps there's certain words, but uh, but anyway, Thorpe was able to to pick up on something very unique. But truth be known, to me. I would I would like to think everybody in Arkansas in 1841 was like Jim Doggett, but <laughs> the reason that this was a fantastic story is because Jim Doggett was exceptional. He was a caric- he was he was an exaggerated caricature of probably a I'm not going to say a small group of people because there were a lot of a lot of backwoodsmen and hunters, but there were also a lot of people in Little Rock that were that were trying to get away from that. We're trying to get away from that image that, like Bob Cochran said, they wouldn't have liked this story. They would have been like, that's not who we are. And, and there's still people like that today mm-hmm. that, are, that are trying to move away from yeah. this, this image. But no, that's a good, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I want to go around the room and just get your, just like what stood out to you, whatever it was. Ben, what stood out to you? Well, I think what I was pondering a lot during the episode, is, and, and I look forward to, to the next episode because I think you're probably going to hit on this a lot, is just how fast that formed an identity around Arkansans. Yeah. And yeah. I was looking at it from a real broad, like, human picture of, like, man, why why are we all so quick to try to put a certain people in a box to understand it? I think there is a desire to try to understand and identify the similarities so we can relate to people, identify the differences so we can better understand them. And sometimes as humans, we try to compare ourselves to make ourselves feel better, you know, but I thought that was a really interesting part of, of that story and how that formed the, the identity of Americans. And it made me think about just in my own travels, I've been fortunate to travel the world some, but 
I really like what the professor said about whenever you shine a light, you it actually makes the space bigger. Wasn't that a good analogy? That what was, was really his name cool. again? His name was Bob Cochran. Okay, Bob Cochran. Bob Cochran. Jessica, my wife, had like five classes with him. Oh, is that right? She, he is like her hero. I was listening oh, to her in the real? kitchen during lunch today. She was like, Bob Cochran. In fact, <laughs> like. He's a cool old guy, man. He's like yeah. 75 or something. In the honor working. school, like all these. <laughs> like the believer. All these students like loved him. And they had this kind of this joke of like, does Bob Cochran know your name? Well, he knows my name. You know, it's yeah. like the competition. <laughs> oh, really? like, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's Just cool. a brilliant man. Well, I really like that. And, you know, I'm talking about when the light shines on on something you're um did, did that analogy i had to think about that a little bit before it made sense did it make sense to everybody oh, yeah yeah right away yeah yeah, yeah. 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 well okay. and I, i'm not that smart and i thought about know. just my experiences in traveling so when i was in college i taught english in cairo egypt and got mm. to live in a muslim culture that over over in america did you wear that bass pro hat i did not <laughs> <laughs> and uh and, you know in america by that point that would have been like I don't know, like 20, uh, 2010, maybe 2008, something like that. People had a very preconceived notion of Muslim life. Yeah. And I really enjoyed getting to know that culture for real. But the more I got to know the culture in Cairo, I quickly found out it was very different than the Egyptian culture. Right. And Alexandria, you know, only a couple hours in north, mm. very different than Jordan or Syria. And, but the more ignorant you are, you kind of just lump everybody into a certain group. Yeah. And so. The more ignorant, not in a derogatory way, but literally. Literally. Yeah. Like, if yeah. you don't know. Yeah. You would think all these people are the same. Kind of like we talked about on the Tecumseh episode that in general, a lot of Americans would think Native Americans were just one group of people. Yeah. yeah. But they were actually very vastly mm -hmm. different. Yeah. And hundreds yeah. of tribes. And so it's caused me to do that less, like less generalized and be genuinely interested mm -hmm. when I meet somebody from somewhere, not stereotyping. And I used to get so annoyed when I would meet people from big cities and, you know, that found out I was from Arkansas. You hear the same questions. Oh, yeah. They all wear your shoes. First Did you marry, shoes. Yeah. you marry your cousin? I mean, this is that classic stuff. That's not that weird. <laughs> 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 you know, I carried that inferiority complex, like uh -huh. like you kind of hinted on by the next episode. But I've changed to where now I'm when when I get those responses, I almost not pity them. But I was kind of like, oh wow, like you really don't know that you're that, ignorant. <laughs> you really you've never ignorant. been to Arkansas. Do ignorant. you not love Walmart? It, yeah, <laughs> but it's like wow, your worldview is real small because. What I've learned is just everywhere you go, there's something interesting about every place and every person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I, but I, you could just see back then when media is so limited, how that one story would catch catch fire, yeah. and they would just brand your way of viewing that, well, that people. And these are things we just didn't have time to go into on this, but that story, just okay. Let's go back. If there was a company, if there was a YouTube channel that did really good in a certain space, like in the hunting space, what would happen? That YouTube channel would be copied yeah. and other guys would start doing yeah. the same stuff. Exactly. I mean, there's a thousand examples yep. from meat eater to the hunting public to, I mean, just like a thousand, yeah. like everybody to cut. Well, when this story came out and it did so good, it was published in New York City. And went all across the country, and everybody talked about it. Everybody loved it. 
And then so what happened is that a bunch of boys in Arkansas started writing about bear hunting. <laughs> and so it kind of fed on its own on its own gravy, you know. Yeah. Mark Twain. Well, and yeah, and then later Mark Twain would 20, 20 pick years. up on that on that type of stuff. But um what I what me and Dr. Blevins talked about, which wasn't on the cut, which is what's so great about the Bear Grease render, if we can talk about this, That's is right. that as much as I would love to say Arkansas was the bear hunting capital of the world during that time, it was. I mean, it, 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 it was as good as there was anywhere, but it certainly wasn't the best. Yeah. Right. They were bear hunting everywhere. It was yeah. the creation state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. So, but you know, in Mississippi, they were killing bears like crazy. In Missouri, they were killing bears. In Kentucky, they were killing bears. So, it it the us becoming the bear state was really tied to this media Mm -hmm. branding it, and 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 that is really interesting. And I said on the podcast that this is a pretty darn near new to earth experience of media. In in Bear Grease, in the Bear Grease world, we think about the world and the massive big picture of history. Yeah. Humans have been around for a long, long time. And media with printing and audio and video is an extremely new thing to yeah. mankind. Mm-hmm. Not the idea of marketing. I'm sure the Folsom hunters would have gone to their neighbors and been like, dude, you should try out this. Have point. you seen this, <laughs> point, <laughs> this point, Jack? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they were marketing. They were they were buy good. one today, get one. <laughs> but but and and not that marketing media are different things. They're kind of lumped together. But point being, it was pretty new, and in, in in media like we have today is a completely new human experiment. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This has never been anything like this before. Yeah. Where you're being so you're being you're being told so many stories. And they all have an agenda. I mean, just like the Big Bear of Arkansas, I don't think Thomas Bangthorpe's was want, Thomas Bangsthorpe was wanting to brand Arkansas as a bear state. That was the last thing in his mind. But it did it. People took it for that, you know. And then uh, there's another real famous guy that was actually more famous than Thomas Bangsthorpe named Pete Whetstone. He wrote under the name Pete Whetstone and wrote hundreds of articles. He was from Batesville, Arkansas, and he talked about bear hunting all the time. It was, it was just a little bit later. A little bit later. Just like maybe just even a few years later. Oh, wow. But uh, I thought it was interesting that uh, Thorpe, this was the pinnacle of his writing career. Hmm. And the second best was, did y'all understand what Cochran was saying? He said that the Big Bear of Arkansas was the pinnacle of Thorpe's career. And it happened early on in his career. And he said the second best, most receipt, well-received short story that he wrote was called A Piano in Arkansas. Oh, yeah. And he said it was trivial compared to. Mm. It, took a, it took a minute to tell. Yeah, it wasn't like one paragraph. Wasn't it a good story, though? I yeah. thought it was a good story. Yeah, yeah, it was funny. A good story. <laughs> I thought it was but, funny. But, but it was a story like we would tell today. It didn't yeah. have all that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was like the chandelier story that Jerry Clower told. I mean, it was that quick. I, right. I, think, I think one of the things that I... I really appreciated about the story is I, my, when I was in high school, I had a teacher named Mrs. Mrs. Shoemaker Mm. and she was a very strict English teacher, but there was something about her that made you love English, made you love vocabulary. She just, she built that into us. So I've always had a great appreciation for someone who could paint a picture in your mind. And I love the way 
it's not just the story, it's right. everything surrounding right. it. Yeah. And so when you when you picture him on the riverboat and you you know, you picture him tall, you picture him in boots, you know mm. what I mean? When he tells when he says I, the line that I liked was um I didn't know whether the dog was made for hunting bears. Or <laughs> yeah, bear was created for the dog. Yeah. yeah, I I loved that. I loved those those phrases that just make you. It's a really novel idea, you know. Yeah. And I I appreciate that about the hey, story. Hey, let me say something. This podcast we're recording this podcast you're listening to right now on the day that this podcast came yeah. out. Mm-hmm. I've already been somebody's already sent me a post that someone put on instagram and they have their their squirrel dog sitting in the driver's seat of their truck and they take a picture of him and he's all astute looking out the window at squirrels and it says i don't know if he was made to hunt squirrels or squirrels are made for him to hunt <laughs> Somebody, oh, already, they stole me to the punch it. man that was gonna be my good. next instagram post. Oh, that's good. go ahead and post it anyway yeah, yeah. that's good so so yeah i i think that's i mean the 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 story of the piano in arkansas is a, it's a cute story but it doesn't create the it's almost like as you hear him tell the story it's like it's like the pictures are unfolding and like someone's painting it as you're walking through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I really, I have a great appreciation for that. Yeah. I think that was, to me, one of the, I really enjoyed the part where you and Steve Ranella talked about just language and, and, and how, how they had s- such a strong command of the language. And I think it really is something that is missing in modern, in modern discourse. And I, you know, Brent and Clay sometimes get on these these kicks where they write each other via text in old English format. <laughs> so they'll write it these happens. like lengthy messages. <laughs> and it's been a fortnight since I, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, and I am privileged sometimes to be CC'd on these messages and I get to enjoy them. But you know, they were, there is something to be said about just like as an educator and Ben can probably back me up on this. Like when you are writing, it is doing something different inside your brain than when you're speaking or than when you're receiving knowledge. When, when like Josh talks to me, different activities are happening in my brain than when I write something out. Mm-hmm. And those, when you're creating things, that's how you become a good speaker. That's how you become a good writer is this, the brain activity that's happening right. when you frequently write. And these guys were writing all the time. I mean, that's, a, it's a, it's mm-hmm. becoming a lost art in our culture. The, and if you even look at the difference inside of education and curriculum today versus 50 years ago versus a hundred years ago, it was much more focused and centered on writing than it mm-hmm. would, than what we're doing now. And, and even as an educator, you think about the amount of, and and I'm not opposed to this. Like I'm not, a hundred percent opposed to this, but a lot of the emphasis for us as educators is to be entertainers. Like education mm. should be engaging and entertaining. And, yeah. um, mm. and it's, it's interesting, all of those little tiny choices that we've made over the last, whether it's, you know, you look at the internet, of course that has a big impact. You have smartphones that has a big impact, but also just even the basic decisions we're making about how we instruct and how we teach people. It's taking this wonderful, beautiful thing that we have in written language that translates to beautiful oratorical mm-hmm. feats yeah. and it's we're losing that as yeah. a culture we're, yeah. we're losing that hey here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country 
These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. You just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You missed it. I don't know if anybody in here is familiar with it, but Abraham, there's a famous letter that he wrote to a mother of, I think it's a letter to Mrs. Bixby. Yes. Have, uh-huh. you, have you read that? I have. That, I couldn't hey, quote it Lincoln for you. Wrote it? Mm-hmm. Lincoln wrote it. It's one of we the, just called him by first name now? It's, yeah, we do. Ole it's Abraham. one of the Abraham. Most, Part of the loss. most eloquent letters I've ever written. It's, it's a short paragraph he wrote to this lady who had five sons that were killed during yep. like, during the Civil mm-hmm. War. I do remember that. It is un. It's, you know what? I think it's actually in a movie. Maybe. I can read it right it's here. It's Ryan. so short. Yeah, that's sure, it. Go ahead. 
Ranella brought up Lincoln. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what made me yeah. think about this yeah. letter. Read it. All right. I've got like the original version here, and I'm trying to see. I've been, sh- dear madam, I have been shown in the files of the War Department a statement of the Adjutant General of Massachusetts that you are the mother of five sons who have died gloriously on the field of battle. I feel how weak and fruitless must be any words of mine which should attempt to beguile you from the grief of loss so overwhelming. But I cannot refrain from tendering to you the consolation that may be found in the thanks of the Republic they died to save. I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Yours very sincerely and respectfully. A. Lincoln. He wrote that. He didn't have a speechwriter. Yeah. That's, that is, yeah. It's pretty emotional. Without, yeah. without backspacing and, and yeah. grammar yeah. correct. Exactly. And, yeah. 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 Dad, what did you think? Well, man, y'all said it all, but, uh, it, you know, I really, 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 really like this. It was just eye opening. It was, it just, created uh an all of that culture where orators mm-hmm. ran the world i mean mm-hmm. they were the ones they were the yeah. powerful ones you know you think hunters you think warriors whatever uh the way he spoke what was that called the southern something Just, he's, he's southern spoken di- dialect yeah yeah folk type deal folk uh, speech you know his his little comments that he would make about the bear, how it, how it moved, and yeah. you know, I loved him like a brother, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and and we've, I think we've lost that, you know. Um, one of them mentioned Mark Twain and and Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. I mean, how many kids grew up thinking they were real people? Right. Yeah. I mean, yep. I mean, they they created this illusion that. That I, you know, these are real people, yeah. you know. And uh, today we don't need that. We we don't have time for that. I want to turn on the news, get it quick, you know. Uh, so I, I was intrigued by that change in our culture, where you know, writing the written word was powerful. Now, mm-hmm. you know, the soundbite. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway. Uh, and I, I made little notes on all these little comments what, that are so what cool. You, what are you, what's in your notes? What's well, you know, uh, uh, I mean, because it, it helps me to remind me of some of the stuff. There's okay. just so much. Uh, actually, Juju did this as we were coming up here. I yeah. said, make some notes here. Uh, the bar was an unhuntable bear, bar, uh-huh. who died when his time had come. Yeah. And in other words, I could I could envision that so much. You know, we hear about a guy killing or a girl killing a big old buck, and, and you know they don't know what they're doing. They just look up and shoot it, shoot it off the front porch, and we go that that animal should not have died that way. Right, right. That's and good. and you know, his analogy was that that uh, the bear knew his time had come, and there was a spiritual aspect to it that yeah, you don't. When you're with your buddies, don't talk about how you're going to hunt this bear because he bear might, might get, hear you. He might hear you. <laughs> Man, I love that so much. I, I'm total speculation, but that's what literary critics do. Mm-hmm. Is is that 
he insinu- I mean, basically, Jim Doggett said the bear might have heard me talking about what I was going to do, and that is a legitimate thing inside of the, for sure the Koyukon people, but probably if you really dissected, would be in other Native American ideas. But the the Koyukon, you know, we have this research, and they absolutely believed like you don't yeah. you don't talk about a bear, you speak in code. The the example they give in the book, uh, Nelson gave in the book, is he said, Josh, if me if I went out today and found some bear tracks in the snow and tomorrow I wanted to go and hunt them, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, Hey Josh, let's go hunt that bear. I would say, Josh, tomorrow I'm going to go around the mountain and, uh, probably carry a gun with me. You interested in going? Uh, definitely. <laughs> and you would know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wink. You would know <laughs> what I was talking about. I mean, this wasn't a joke to them. Yeah. They, they, they lived in a very spiritual world. Yeah. And I just thought that was so interesting. And then more is going to come out in later episodes, but Doggett's doctrine about the creation bear and the creation state, very, very Native American feel. And what you're going to learn, and this is foreshadowing, but I'm shining a light on the shadow so that you see what I'm talking about. There's a deep one. Okay. Is that in in the Arkansas Delta, there was a thing that was happening that was really unique where... The, the some of the first Europeans that came there were that that occupied there were French, and they lived with the Quapaws, and they actually intermarried and mm-hmm. kind of had this weird thing going on yeah. where they just all kind of lived together and got along and traded, you know, for a pretty short period of time. Yeah. But there was a deep indoctrination of some of those backwoods folks. And with Native Americans. So it's like Doggett for sure had some Native American yeah. doctrine running in his blood. Dad, tell me what else is on your list. Uh, eyes flashed with so much fire, it would have scorched a cat. Talking about <laughs> <Yeah>. that bear. <laughs> bear shot. Bear shot in forehead and walked down the tree as gently as a lady from a carriage. Yeah. Can't you just see it? Just kind of, yeah, stri- yeah, like just kind of, just kind of sacheting down. <laughs> and yeah. then, then and at that point, I think he slapped a dog out of sight. Yeah, it well, I mean, it yeah. just out of the vapor. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. Going back to Thorpe, knowing bear hunting. Yeah. Right. I'll tell you, there's one group of people in the world who are experts on bears climbing and coming out of trees. Do you know who it is? Dog hunters. Dog hunters. Dog hunters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the first time that I saw a big black bear up a tree, I was in I was in Appalachia in West Virginia, and there was a bear that was treed. I bet he was 60 foot up in some big old gum, you know, big, big tree, setting up there on a limb. And we pulled the dogs off the it, it, we weren't hunting it wasn't hunting season it was training season we pulled the dogs back off the tree and the bear could have come down this pole this is just this big limbless tree but he walked across a limb about as big as my leg probably seven or eight feet walked across it like a squirrel <laughs> jumped onto a little sycamore about as big as a telephone pole and came down at least 50 foot as fast as a gray squirrel could have. Wow. And I'm not kidding you. I've never seen, I mean, a bear hunter is going to be like, well, yeah. Is it, but Thorpe saying 
And, and it was just this one smooth motion. And it was so weird because he walked out on this limb, just walked across this limb, jumped on a tree, and slid down it like a fireman. Hey, right there is a perfect example of our culture telling that story. If Thorpe right. had told that story, I mean, you would really be glued to your seat, and it probably would have taken five minutes, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, now, if who would have told it? Thorpe. Well, yeah, I mean, if he had told what's the story you just told. Right, right. It would have been so much more it would have colorful. Embellished and yeah, yeah. Well, so we we you're saying we he made a good metaphor that painted it for us kind of yeah. in a more simple way. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, it's like this stuff I'm reading. Yeah. This bear moaned in a thicket like a thousand sinners, man. <laughs> I mean <laughs> yeah. I mean this guy had some spirituality to him and a little hey. bit later he said Samson, hey man, if this bear if Samson yeah, biblical had, reference, he would have whooped Samson. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'll, there was so much to talk about, but when he said uh, he said that this bear groaned like a thousand sinners, Th- this was written in 1841. This was a time of massive revival yeah. Yeah. in um, in frontier America. This was something that was connecting with people because there were these kind of charismatic revivals, and people would go into these sessions of repentance and be loud and and, well, and showy and, yeah. and so him saying that connected to people oh but he knew that a bear death moaned how many americans could you walk up to today and say is there anything peculiar that happens when you shoot a bear and it dies i mean i i mean i don't i don't know i don't know how many out of a thousand a thousand random americans i would say 10 maybe, maybe. Less Maybe. than that, probably. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, they have a, a a wild death moan. One of the few animals, I tried to look up all the animals that do it. The only one I know for sure that does is the Cape Buffalo Cape in Buffalo. Africa. Cape Buffalo, yeah. It's really? the only one that's... that. I did not know that. But Dad and I, Mbogo. the first bear that we ever killed, death moaned. And we didn't know that they did that. And uh, But the way he described it was so, was so, He's was so heard cool. He's it. What else is on your list? That's well, good. Hey, hey, one thing you triggered my thought was I was really um, uh, caught up in the fact that people from the East wanted these stories. I mean, mm-hmm. this was like, please deliver something to us. Yeah. We want to know what y'all are doing, you know, out West. Out West was Mississippi, Arkansas, yeah. you know. Um, and... You know, we're we're the same way today. I, I want to get on the news and I want to find out stuff. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And they were hungry for these type of stories. Yeah. Um, the bear fell through a fence like a tree falling through a cobweb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we just don't talk that way. Every every little thought he had, he created a, its own image in your mind. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going like, wow, that's a heck of a bear. Well, when he came over the fence, he came over like black smoke. Yeah. And, and I yeah, mean, yeah. it's like all of a sudden your mind just goes like black smoke. He Holy went from cow. being graceful to barbaric when he mm-hmm. left there. So mm-hmm. I tell the story. Josh tells the story. We go around. We tell the story. You know, we put us off in a room. We tell the story. We tell it in five minutes. Hunting story's over. This guy, I mean, he's created... 10, 15, 20, 30 different stories. My mind just sees this bear running through the woods, being followed by a pack of hounds. Only reason he's running, in my mind, it's entertainment. Once he gets tired, he goes, okay, boys, gigs up. 
I'm going to slap you out of sight or whatever the <laughs> yeah. word is. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Uh, you know, if you've ever seen a bear navigate an obstacle, it's shocking. If you, if you, I don't think he would have described a deer jumping a fence like a tree falling through a cobweb. Right. He would have described it different. But a bear, they are extremely articulate with all their feet, and they can just move through stuff. I mean, they are some of the most mobile animals and and able to move their body. And the description of it coming over the fence like a black mist, it's yeah. just kind of like it's kind of like a ball of jello, just like yeah, just kind of like how how did he do that? What look up on YouTube a bear climbing a chain link fence, and it just. You're just like, how did he do that? It, so Thorpe, interesting. Thorpe had been around bears, I think. I think so too. He yeah. almost had to. How many yeah. times to know that a bear would just stop after he a little bit? Just goes, man, I'm tired of playing this yeah. game. Yep. And only big bears do that. Yeah. The little bears, the little bears, typically today anyway, will will run and run and run and run and not even tree. The big ones often stay on the ground or just barely get up in trees. The mid-sized bears are usually, I mean, a small, you can tree a small bear, but rarely would you tree a big giant, like five or 600 pound bear. That bear is almost always going to stay on the ground. Yeah. But interesting. Interesting. I thought it was interesting. The conversation you guys had about, you know, the, the one that got away or the, or the, the, you know, after killing the, the trophy, there's a sense of loss, which made me think that that's why angling is superior to hunting <laughs> so just want everybody because to know that because you can catch and release i mean i can catch a trophy fish on my fly rod put him back and dream about catching him again well now Me and I clay, mean, if you want to go there i we film can do clay it. catch you... and release bears all the time <laughs> yeah. yeah shoot right under him. Uh, now with bear hunting with hounds though it's the catch and release sport man you only kill the ones you want right. just like you with fishing there you go. So it really is. You can tree them and let them go. It's tough to tree a deer, though. Well, yeah. You can, I guess. <laughs> you let them walk. You let them. You can let them walk. Something yeah, no, I never, I, something I, I I never did. Point, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I see your I got point. a whole house hey, full of dope. I had a guy. I want to play y'all something. I had a guy write in. Do you remember I asked people? I said, what do you think he meant by creation bear, mm-hmm. creation state, and finishing up state? What do you think, Dad? I think he was putting a spiritual connotation. It was such a magnificent animal. It was beyond belief, especially to the Easterners. They would not believe what he was seeing in the wild. So it had to be here from the beginning. Samson, he would have got whipped by this bear. And the state was the same way. It was such a magnificent place. That's the way I saw it. I'm going to see. What do do y'all think? I, it's a tough one. I I, I kind of thought I kind of thought a similar thing. Like like this bear was was spoken spoken from the word of God. You know what I mean into the earth, and he had just been a fixture. You know what I mean. He was such a magnificent creature that he'd been a fixture on the earth. You know, Ben. I honestly didn't know because, and I used to study a lot of history in that time period. People use words in ways that we don't know, right? And so. Just because we think that's what creation means, I honestly have literally no idea what he might have said. And I've it, never read it. Didn't it use like? Didn't that. it do exactly what you feel like the author wanted it to do? Probably so. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt. Like you don't yeah. hear that and think, "Oh, this was a 
inconsequential bear. Yeah, exactly. You hear it and you're like, oh, this is a special yeah. bear. Yeah, it was yeah. very biblical to me listening or my interpretation of what he was saying. Yeah. Okay, a guy from Pennsylvania sent me this. He must have listened to the podcast at 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah. this morning. Clay, I hope this voice memo reaches you well. Um, I just listened to your podcast on on the bear, um, the creation bear, and I just wanted to share my thoughts on, on the, what I think the creation bear means and what the creation state means. I think it's the platonic ideal of a bear. Um, I think he saw that bear as not only sort of the perfect representation physically, but also culturally and spiritually of a bear. Um, and I think the use of creation is interesting because same with Arkansas, I believe he sees it as a, as, you know, these are two things that represent God's hand and they aren't muddied up by worldly impurities. So that guy's name is, uh, Martin Hiley from Pennsylvania. But what he was saying was that it was the representative bear. Undefiled, undefiled by yeah. by anything else, undefiled by the world, and that fits with him saying Arkansas is the creation state, mm-hmm. the perfect state, undefiled by the world, like Eden, I guess. Yeah, like an like an Eden. Yeah. Well, see, yeah. that, that's the beauty of the way he wrote is that you create your own answer. Yeah, you yeah. know, you yeah. see a bear walking exactly. down a tree. Like a lady climbing it off a carriage, yeah. slaps a bear into wherever. I mean, yeah. you know, so you can take that. I think your answer would be correct. We don't know what that means. But to yeah. me, that's what it meant. It, it was, you know, it was bigger than life. Well, it was spiritual. And, and it, it, it created an image of Doggett that we wouldn't have had before. Because it's like, wow, this guy, this guy knows something we don't know. He, 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 and that's, that was... Bob Cochran, we weren't able to include it, but he talked about how this story, from a literary perspective, is really unique in how Doggett is set up, and it's because the city slicker from New Orleans is so anonymous and vanilla. Like, there's no personality to this guy from New Orleans. Like, everybody is, like, little, and Doggett is huge. And and Doggett becomes the envy, and people see him, and they're enamored with him, and they're there it, it breaks the stereotypes like Renella said of this country bumpkin rural backwoodsman and golly this guy's deeper than all of us yeah. this guy has this robust life it, it, he talks about his dog bowie knife being the 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 most a uh, modest dog but only because he can't talk uh, <laughs> and he's he's the best bear dog in the world i mean just he was able to describe life and like Renella said he lived it with this robust lust for life you yeah know? but that create that the creation state and creation bar so interesting well guys yeah dad what? i was just I, I think you might have alluded to this but it was arkansas created for the world or the world for you know you and ranella really <laughs> That's I, funny. my hat's off to both of you guys on this deal i think ranella really hit it hard you know What's right cool, to the heart steve's so sharp man he you know he's never read that before had no knowledge of thomas bangs thorpe um i gave him that essay well i sent it to him he printed it off we were hunting together in mexico here's the backstory we're hunting together in mexico and i knew i was going to be with him and have my podcast stuff and i said i want to hear what you have to say about this essay all i told him uh, i told him it was influential and you know 
and gave it to him. He prints it off, takes it to Mexico, and like we're like, okay, we got to do this like this afternoon. And he's like, okay, well, let me read that essay. And so he reads it, mm. and then we go right into it. And he has like some pretty in depth analysis analysis of it, yeah. you know. So yeah, he's 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 sharp with literature stuff, and uh, yeah, he was he was cool to have on there. I was disappointed only in one aspect. What was that, Brent? When they said Jim's last name wasn't Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> That's yep. what I was waiting for. He, we 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 wanted him all to all to be our last name, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, for real, yeah, absolutely. Man, I I uh, it's it's interesting to me. So as Newcombs. We're lucky that we had uh, somebody did a pretty extensive genealogy search of the Newcombs, like uh-huh. our last name. And uh, there's a book. Uh, I think it's Thomas Joseph Newcomb is written on the front of it. One guy from Scotland that came over, and it's his genealogy. And it goes all, and Gary Newcomb's name is in the book. Uh, you know, and, and that's how that's how we know our history. History gets lost so easy. Yep. I mean, it, it would be nice to say. It's like, amazing oh, how I, easily it gets lost even in modern day. Oh, yeah. 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 It, it, it's neat for me to think that the first Newcombs came here right about the time this was written and all this was going down. And they, it was in the early 1830s before Arkansas was the state and, you know, been here ever since. I love being connected to the place. The next podcast, though. If you ever thought you wouldn't be interested in something, you'd be wrong on this one. And if you think, oh, I don't care anything about Arkansas, you're wrong. You do. and just don't know it because nobody ever told you. The next episode is going to be on Arkansas identity. And it's fascinating. And I think there's a lot of things to be learned just about human nature, right. but also America yeah. inside of this story, which I said it on this one, Arkansas in the 20th century, the 1900s, was proclaimed by scholars, like documentably, the most ridiculed state in America. It's right where we live. So, closing thoughts, anybody? I would just say I, I love. it gave me a new appreciation for literature and how artists capture the complexity mm. of an experience. I was yeah. thinking about experiences I've had standing next to somebody and having a totally different perspective. And... um I remember one time working on an airplane at my buddy's uh, business where they refurbish airplanes, and it was he needed some quick help and called me and another guy in, and we'd never had a, any experience there. Worked there for like 10 hours, left, and I was like, that is, uh, I never want to do that again in my <laughs> life. The guy next to me was like, that was amazing on the car ride home. All he could talk about is yeah. how much he wanted to work on airplanes and how much he loved that work. And it just, it shows that there's people with a gift that can slow things down and capture the complexity of something. And it makes me want to be more aware of the experiences I have because there's beauty in, in it that I may not have seen before. Mm-hmm. So I, I, liked, I liked that about the writer. That's good. You know, we have a choice of how we let the modern world impact us. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because we talk about all these things coming at us and, and media pounding us every direction, we, we get to choose how we live. And how we develop ourselves. Like Misty was talking about how people are, they developed this skill to be able to interpret the world in such a way and communicate that to other people through language. 
And that was a skill that was built, and it's less now. Well, I mean, you got a decision of what you do tonight after the sun goes down, whether you're going to go, you know, and not that there's anything wrong with watching television, but, you know, you, you got a decision of whether you're going to do that or whether you're going to read a book or whether you're going to talk to your family, talk to your family, like actually talk with your family and build build culture inside of your family. And th- these are things I think about, and, and uh, I don't claim to have it dialed in, but it's things I think about. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, how can I, how can I not just talk about some of the stuff that we admire in the past, but like, we don't, we don't have to be pushed around by, mm-hmm. by modernity. Yep. yep. So, Dad, good to see you. Hey, good to be here, man. My dad lives two hours from me, so I don't see Dad unless he's coming up here. Or I go down there. Yeah, been a, been a little while. Yep. Yeah, we kicked them out of the house, and they <laughs> ran barred out. the door. They didn't just hit the <laughs> and yard. They never came they, back. And they never came back. It's like my brother. My brother told my nephews, "Boys, when you graduate school, you ain't got to go to college. You ain't even got to go to work. You just got to go." <laughs> uh, hey this podcast comes out on a couple of days before the black bear bonanza in bentonville it's it's bentonville arkansas big all-day event i'll be there brent will be there ben will be there josh will be there gary believer nukem will be there misty will be there misty had to leave um we it's it's going to be a big deal. We're doing a live Bear Grease Render podcast there on site. Made, big event. Lots of vendors and stuff going on. Al hooting contest. It'll and you can fun. buy tickets at the door. I mean, it'd be good if you bought them before you get there, but you don't have to. You can just show up. And so that's all day Bentonville, Arkansas. You have to go to the website to get all the details. But Which website? Just the website. They'll figure it out. <laughs> Quail Barn. Just the Ar- website. Arkansas BHA. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll figure it out. All right, guys. Thank you. Ever need something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Here's a simple but meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. A digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pictures of all the things that they can't be there for, from family vacation to their grandkids' graduation. My parents are always asking for sports photos of my son who plays basketball. That A lot of the games, they aren't able to make it. It comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame, so you can upload as many photos as you want, and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. I have an Aura frame, and so does Juju, my mom, and they love it. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BEAR. That's A-U-R-A, Frames.com, promo code BEAR. Terms and conditions apply.